0: Won't stop firing. I think I'm
1: being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green.
0: My last nav check put me on the Grange Point 4. This is Control, be we'll Radio. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency.
2: Sits and Sives, Captains and Commanders, you're tuned in the guard frequency. And as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear in the guard. This is episode 143 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever, and was recorded on Friday, October 28th, and made available for download Tuesday, November 1st, over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Ken Shadow I'm Astron.
3: And I'm Jeff. And as always in the audio booth, making sure we sound coherent, and not at all like Tony after a day at the campaign trail, is Henry. So, what do we have in store this week, Jeff? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we have lasers! Next, we check out what news from your favorite flight sims has hit the flight deck as we cover all the ways of the weather in Star Citizen. Alien structures, passengers, excitement for a leaked colon dangerous, and details of the new patch that's landed forever space. After that, we're debating some updates done via item acquisition before finally tuning into the feedback loop and letting you join in on the conversation.
2: That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any
3: hey, boys, need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Jeff saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. Most space sim fans go to gaming experience with one major assumption fixed in their minds. I'm going to be in space. Heck, I'm going to be shooting lasers in space. At things. Heck, almost every space game has lasers. NASA is apparently fully on board with the idea of sticking lasers on everything that goes into space. Go figure. NASA's intent for the lasers is somewhat different, however. Lasers have been used in space missions for quite a while. The first Apollo mission stuck reflectors on the moon, and even today, scientists measure the distance of the moon to high accuracy by firing lasers at it and waiting for them to bounce off the reflectors. In this case, NASA is looking to use the lasers for communications. In 2013, NASA's Lunar Atmosphere and Dust Environment Explorer, or LADEE, module, went to the moon with a laser communication system. Before crashing onto the surface, which is done on purpose in this case, Laddie was able to establish a communication link that sent data at 622 megabits per second, which is fairly sure beats my connection all the heck. Apart from the increased bandwidth lasers comms provide, NASA is excited about the prospect of these systems because they are much smaller and require less power than the traditional radio transmitter systems used on ships and satellites today. NASA's next test is going to involve another laser comm system in 2019. It will only be going up to the ISS, but the purpose is to test the laser communication system through various types of weather and times of day. Well, that's kind of cool. I have, well, working in the wireless carrier broadband industry, it excites me that lasers could be the next big thing in point-to-point communications. Yeah, they're still working out the
0: the details, obviously, but the 622 megabit bandwidth is apparently a big deal, because it means that, for instance, we had to wait how long for the pictures from the Pluto probe? Right. And this would send them faster is sort of a misnomer, because they're still traveling at the speed of light, but they would be able to get more information downstream at that speed.
2: I didn't quite catch the thing with the laddie. Were they transmitting that much data while it was entering the atmosphere? Right, right. It, it went to the moon. For some reason, I was thinking Mars.
0: Well, I mean, a lot of the prospect of this is people want to use it on Mars probes and such.
2: Right, right. But I thought it was trying to get, it was actually getting that through an atmosphere, though, and it was not through an atmosphere.
0: No. I mean, not that Mars has a substantial atmosphere, but still, yeah, that's one of the reasons they're doing the ISS test, because they want to see how easy is it to screw up this communication. Like, if it's dusk and it's Cloudy, does that completely cut off communications or can they still get
3: through? Mm-hmm. Well, certainly the technology is exciting.
2: I, I think they should call them pew pew comms going forward. <laughs> Maybe you just coined a new term. We can only hope.
0: Although, after Bodie McBoatface, I don't know that any major government <laughs> agencies are going to be going to the general populace for suggestions on naming their hardware. <laughs>
3: Red seen, or heard something you might think is interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the plight deck. Speed Port
1: Bay, hands-on approach, trigger screen, call the ball.
3: do get technical
2: with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for October 28, 2016. $129.6 million, up about $288,000. million registered accounts, up about 69,000. 1.114 million ships in the UAE fleet, up about 2,500. This week in Star Citizen, most of the shows were still going over the details of how certain aspects of the demos came together for CitizenCon. One aspect kept showing up in all of the various sources, the weather. In this case, we're expanding the term weather, so it's actually covering quite a lot.
0: First of all, Day and night cycles are actually going to be determined by the position of the sun, not some arbitrary environment changes based on a preset clock. It's possible this means that day and night will vary in length from planet to planet. However, that has not yet been confirmed.
3: Next up, the atmosphere that holds all the weather is actually a variable that can be adjusted. So, some planets will have atmosphere that starts further from the surface, and others may have none at all. They have been using the same standard setting in the testing so far, so the space to ground transitions are long enough to invoke the cool weather factor without
2: overdoing it. The epic sandstorm that appeared in the demo is revealed to be a feat of graphical trickery. The whole storm is apparently made up of only three sprites, or individual graphic objects. Hopefully that means that your processors won't start overheating when one of these shows up in game.
0: Also, the sound cues for the weather are not part of the weather's programming, but that of the individual objects that may be inside the storm. As for storm effects on the environment, there may be temporary cosmetic or minor structural damage with some effects, but it's unlikely we'll see something like a tsunami devastating a wide area on a regular basis.
2: So the, the video has showed a lot of the individual um Little trickery elements they used for like attaching sound objects to the environment and and whatnot for the um, the sandstorm blowing through the wreckage and such. It'll be interesting when they have to actually go reevaluate that as the uh, the, the the weather is more dynamic and um, generated by the planet rather than being a static effect like they had in the video.
0: Yeah, it makes sense that they're making the effort to not front-load the sandstorm or the storm objects with variables and triggers so that it reduces the load when they show up but I have to wonder if placing all the triggers and cues on the environment is gonna mean that loading that up might get a little more arduous especially in cases where you have like if they're reusing assets on planets and you've got a planet with no atmosphere and therefore it won't be experiencing weather would all of those cues from the transported assets be wasted energy that still has to be loaded up?
2: Mm. So if you had a wrecked javelin on the moon, you'd still have all those potential wind triggers that you might be loading. And I can see your point there. You might end up with um, a lower ram space than you potentially could. Probably not that big of a deal, but um, it, it's an interesting point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's more going on with that optimization discussion. I was also interested in the day-night cycles being determined by the sun. That could be really interesting if they start actually modeling, like, solar orbit factors where, like, if you're near a pole of a planet, the sun might never go down mm-hmm.
3: or might never come up.
2: Or uh, binary or uh, tertiary uh, star systems where you might have stars of different sizes. And...
3: Well, let's that's, that's not forget the gravity of a planet and the fact that some planets spin faster and some planets spin
2: slower right i don't i yeah i don't know what their gravitational model looks like i mean They, they think it sounds like they just have round objects and assign, assign a sign of gravity to them i don't they have uh, much more than that
1: still all these variables will make for a lot more variety in planets that you'll find out there
2: right i mean it it sounds like they're they're trying to increase their gamut of possible environments that you could in, encounter like the acid planet or whatever they went to, right at the end of the demo, of the uh, tools demo. Sorry. One other thing to mention. So the, 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 they sh- they showed off the lightning, and if you were if you're looking at the storm from far away, it's just like a brief flash. I saw people, some people in, ca- in chat commenting that it looked like a graphical glitch, and they didn't realize it was lightning until people mentioned it. But when you actually were in the storm and the lightning happened, you could see uh, you could see lightning bolts going off either right in front of you or uh, a little bit farther away. and I thought that was a nice touch like you, you experienced it differently from whether you're inside or outside the storm.
0: Probably with the side effect of another optimization thing because if if all they have to do is provide a slight flash from a distance that's certainly a lot cheaper than resource speaking it's cheaper than modeling the bolt every time. Mm-hmm.
2: Speaking of resources on that, too, um, they did show how the volumetric modeling was done when you're in the standstorm. And one thing that caught my eye was in order to reduce the load of the, the volume that you're in, the volume's really only being modeled in the demo right around the player. It's a very small area where the storm could be many miles wide. It makes me wonder how they would actually do that in the game, whether you'd end up with multiple zone, if there are multiple players spread out across the area the sandstorm is impacting, would it generate a volume around each player? Or would, uh, is is it really supposed to be just kind of localized like that?
0: Well, it sounds like it would work off the same basic technology that they're using for the multi-crewed ships, where each ship in an area would have its own physics grid. So I imagine the programming is probably similar in nature for creating these bubbles around the players.
2: Perhaps, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it is only a client-side effect that's that's triggering these these uh, volumetric uh, areas that the sandstorm's impacting.
3: The Guardians update and Elite Colon Dangerous is here already in the first few days of the 1.72.2 update. A canny commander named Death was able to use footage from the Guardian's trailer to discern the location of one of the latest alien structures somehow tied to Elite's mysterious storyline. Not much has been discovered about these structures, but they seem very different in design and construction than those previously discovered, the so-called Barnacles. Henry, chime in here. <laughs>
1: They are different. I flew out there. I don't know if you guys have been out to see the ruins yet, but I'm parked there in my asp right now, and it's it's amazing. There's definitely a difference in the architecture. It doesn't look organic at all. It's more like, uh, it reminds me a bit of the alien ruins on Mars in the original Total Recall movie, if you remember that. Lots of large metal shapes, um, that kind of thing, but nothing in the way of, like, nothing you would say is a door or a hatch or anything like that. There are some cool collectibles laying around on the ground. Things like uh, orbs and tablets that you can pick up. There's a lot to do out there if you take the trip out. It's It's a few hundred light years from the bubble. I got there pretty quick, and my asp is like 13 jumps from the Sol system. It is worth the trip if you go out. It's definitely worth the trip. And this one, unlike the alien wreck and a lot of the barnacles, large enough to see from a high altitude, so you don't have to be really great with navigating... To a certain heading, which is difficult in elite, you can see it, you know, from pretty high up, so you'll know when you're getting close, and you can fly right to it.
2: So, is a theory that there are three separate races that you're you're seeing here?
1: You know, I would say maybe two. We've got the organic probes that were all in the nebula systems. This I don't think is anywhere near a nebula, even. It just looks completely different. Um, so I'd say there's probably two races: this ancient race that is, uh, or that had had these ruins, and then something else. With the more organic technology that probably was the ship that was crashed and then has all these probes and barnacles
2: our research badgers have been hard at work in the lounges all over the inhabited bubble not drinking gondraman beverages and doing karaoke who told you about that no they've been learning the ins and out of the new passenger mission system so far it seems to be potentially very lucrative depending on your reputation with local factions the size of your ship Especially in the case of economy passengers. Pack them in, they don't need legroom. And your willingness to take on some long treks with the sightseers for the dual reward of some breathtaking scenery and big bucks. I mean, credits. Remember, only the Orca and Beluga liners can carry VIP modules. Be wary, taking on wanted passengers can lead to a quick demise if you get scanned. While this is intended, an upcoming patch will make the perils of such missions more clear. Finally,
0: explorers have been mapping out neutron highways in earnest, with a YouTube video by Aramis one demonstrating a route from Colonia to Polo Harbor, which is 4800 light years, done in only 83 minutes using an ASP Explorer with a standard jump range of 33 light years. This was a full hour shorter than usual and involved bookmarking the necessary Neutron star systems ahead of time after charting the optimal route. These efforts continue on the forums, and it's thought that these Neutron highways will eventually expedite travel to distant points of interest throughout the galaxy for the adventurous.
3: Well, I can see if if that's a benefit, but unless they can transfer data about these bookmarks to other people, or you buy them off the cartographers, I don't see
1: that being a, a lucrative pastime. It'll be something where people share them online. You'll get it from a, an outside of game source like a website or something.
0: Yeah, it sounds like this is going to become one of those sort of meta skill things. If you're a good stellar cartographer and you want to spend the time to do this, you get the bonus. But, you know, you're, it doesn't sound like you're necessarily going to be losing out a lot if you don't want to bother.
2: But only really matters if you if you really want to go a really long way, though, right?
1: I don't even know if it matters then. I mean, you're talking about a big increase. It's a 300% increase, but you're not going to use it in a long trip where you could just plot a single course and use a bunch of these jumps. You actually have to individually plot your uh, jumps that are supercharged. So your boosted jumps, they take longer because you have to, uh, every time you, super, or you boost your uh, FSD, you have to reset your course. So I think it's going to really slow down exploration because it saves you, what, three jumps. But it's going to be fun. I mean, I did jump a neutron star the other day when the expansion came out. And it's a nice effect. It's a really cool graphic effect. And it's it's interesting. I was expecting some damage. There was rumor that there was going to be damage to these jumps, but I haven't seen any.
0: I think if I remember correctly, it was a possibility thing. Like, you might end up with a damage system, but you might get away scot-free.
1: Yeah, I did a couple, and I've had no trouble.
0: So this is sort of more of a hobby than a benefit just in and of itself.
2: Well, if there's a reason, you need to get somewhere fast, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I did take several jumps out of the bubble to the closest Neutron Star. I don't remember what the name was. I got it from a website. And then I jumped back to Sol in two jumps, so that was interesting. Of course, we didn't talk much about the uh, the passenger missions. Have you guys been doing any of that? That looks like the way to make money now that Sothis has been nerfed.
2: I haven't... I'm, I'm still in a Cobra, so...
1: I haven't even updated yet, so... <laughs> Oh, you're missing out. There's a lot to do in the new update. So have you tried them, Henry? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been um, trying to work up my reputation with uh, a few factions to get some of the higher-paying ones. I've seen passenger missions up to 8 million credits for a single shot, but some of them are up to uh, 20,000 light years. It's very far. Some of them are a lot closer, but I have to get my faction reputation up before I can really take them. And then once the alien ruins were found, I... ditched all of those efforts and went straight out to where that was to explore it. It does
0: sound like they've given some depth to the system.
1: Oh, yeah. And and the new things that we have, like uh, module storage, a couple of little things that are like quality of life improvements are a really big deal. It doesn't seem like it would be so huge until you have it, but then being able to swap... Uh, equipment and leave it at a station and go back and get it and reconfigure your ship easily. It's, it's a lot better than when you used to have to fly all over the place to find systems and bookmark systems that had your level five auto field maintenance unit or whatever particular jump drive you wanted to equip for a long trip versus a combat uh, mission you were going to take.
3: Everspace is still in early access and its recent updates have mostly involved bug fixes and polish passes on textures and other graphical elements. However, last week players and backers got one of the first substantial content updates that the game has seen
2: since public access was available. Patch 0.2.0 point, a lot of numbers, has a two major changes players will notice immediately. First is the addition of a Colonial Scout player ship. Previously, players only had access to the Colonial Interceptor, a middle-of-the-road all-rounder. The The Colonial Scout is what most space sims would probably term a light fighter. It has increased base speed and maneuverability, but weaker shields and hull to start with than the Interceptor. Additional player ships have been in the works, but in-game they were only inaccessible black silhouettes until now.
0: The other major addition to the game is the difficulty selection. Everspace is purely single player, so all the enemies are AI. Some players voiced concerns that the enemies were too hard, while others were wondering what challenge was supposed to be had while they were laughing at the feeble attempts of the bots. The game already had sectors of variable difficulty that the player could choose when flying, but at some point the only options become Sector Death Hell or System Rampant Murder. Now, prior to each run the player makes, they will be able to tweak the difficulty of the run between easy, medium, and hard. The in-game rewards get tweaked proportionally.
3: There are some other minor additions, bug fixes, and enhancements. We encourage any interested listeners to check out the full patch notes linked in our show notes. So yeah, this is...
0: This was sort of interesting to me because uh, the I, I was one of the people that backed, so I have Everspace as playable, and the other ships, like I said, you could go over to them, but all they were was big black shadows. So there was some speculation about whether they were going to be purely cosmetically different or whether they were going to have different loadouts or something like that. So Have you tried the new one yet? Not as of yet, no. This patch dropped fairly recently and I just haven't had the time to get into the game.
2: Yeah, I need to get into this too. I think I'm a backer too. I just haven't had the time yet.
0: The difficulty thing was interesting. I hadn't I'd been pretty comfortable with the base difficulty that the game provided, but then again I can see where it could be too easy for certain people.
2: Will it always be single player or will they have a multiplayer game mode they're working
0: on? No, they the game company that's developing it has its history in mobile games
2: Mm -hmm. they had a galaxy on fire and stuff right
0: yeah they have very little experience with multiplayer games and they've said from the beginning that a multiplayer system is not really something they're interested in looking into
1: at least they're saying that not trying to just kind of throw something together multiplayer tends to get tacked on a lot of times
0: yeah and this would definitely be a game where if they tacked it on it would feel tacked on because they have so many differing systems that are available to upgrade the ships that trying to balance it with the things they have now would be a herculean effort and I just don't see the developer going through it so I think it's better that this is staying single player
2: I mean it, it sounds like a game that would be ripe for co-op
0: co-op definitely but you know PVP multiplayer not so much
2: but I mean I can I can see this being I mean it's kind of um What's well, a good analogy here? It is like a Diablo 1, but with spaceships, right?
0: Yeah, to a certain extent.
2: That was always, those games are always fun. Um, super fun co op, so it'd be kind of interesting to see that. Not that we will, just, just hypothetically.
0: <laughs> we're continually hoping for the space sims that haven't materialized yet.
3: <laughs> now it's time for news we didn't use. <laughs> The devs in Star Citizen issued an important correction. The torpedoes for the Polaris Corvette are size 10, not size 6, as was
2: indicated in the brochure. Single-player work in Descent colon Underground will soon show up on the Proving Grounds. The training mission has finished the design phase and is undergoing a polish pass before being pushed.
0: I, know they are planning on providing all Alpha backers with a free fly weekend to make up for the late Alpha release. More details as we have them.
3: Descent... Colon, underground's Halloween-themed items will be removed in the next patch, so check them out while you can.
2: Many space sims that are going for the persistent MMO experience are concerned about immersion. They want players to have virtual experiences featuring little details that increase believability such as ships and weapons produced by different companies, even though all of the assets are actually made by the same developers in the main game studio. An idea has been floating around that game developers should use this system as the primary method of introducing game updates, to further increase the versatility. It wouldn't be the case for game-breaking or obvious bugs that need to be corrected, but enhancements and new features may become available as in-game items or upgrades, rather than instant updates to everyone's games. Want the updated physics flight model for your ship? Have to buy that new flight computer. Want the version of X-Weapon where overheating and damage have been adjusted? Have to buy that next-gen model. New players slash characters' base equipment would feature the latest updates. Detractors immediately throw flags, claiming that such a system would irreparably damage game balance would encourage a pay-to-win environment and people re-rolling their characters every time the game updates. Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate game updates being released as in-game items. Ostron owns more bleeding-edge tech than a blood bank, while well, Jeff is still writing emails to Apple bemoaning the fact that his Gen 1 iPod can't download iOS 10. so Astron, Why is the purchasable upgrade system the way to go?
0: Well, Kinshadow, thanks for asking. The reason you want the purchasable upgrade system is it allows the players and the devs to have an easier time being interested in new in-game assets. The devs don't have to try to completely redesign the fighters and come up with brand new systems to attract player interest. And the players will actually be looking forward to new versions of existing items so that they can get the newest, latest, greatest technology.
2: Thank you, Mr. Ostron. Jeff, how would you respond?
3: I don't have a single Apple product. I never will, and I wouldn't refuse if you gave me one. But besides that, I think that I think you're missing the whole big point. So this is, this is game-breaking. I, I mean, I don't believe people actually think this is a good idea. How can you? I mean, my hardcore playing style is going to beat your casual player every single time because... Hey, I can afford it, why not? Unless there was a means to get the updates right away, you're you're talking about core game functionality here. I don't think this will ever fly. Uh, Ostrog? So the problem is a
0: misunderstanding of the concept. Actual problems that break the game would still be released as normal. But in the case of, for example, the flight model, in uh star citizen whenever they release a new flight model there are dozens of people who claim that the old way they were doing it was a lot better was a lot smoother was a lot more responsive this would give those people the option to not have to switch they could stick with the old model whereas people who are having trouble with the old model would buy the new equipment and get it on their ships and take advantage of the new one
2: all right thank you jeff how would you respond
3: So now you're
2: asking the game developer to keep two
3: flight models around or three flight models or whatever, you know, and this adds a load to the game developer getting game updates now? I don't think so. I I think this is being overthought. Now you're asking the developer to keep not only maybe buggy code, which is the reason why they changed the flight model, but to also keep up the other code now that it's in the system.
2: Uh, thank you both, gentlemen, for arguing a very good points. My personal opinion is that uh, we've seen this work, and I think we've seen this not work, and it really all depends, obviously, on the details, as much of these arguments do. Uh, one point that, um, that strikes me is a game like Ultima Online, where the stats to a, an item were completely hidden from the user, but they were actually embedded in the item rather than in some instance aspect of the item. For instance, there were, uh, in, at one point in the game, people would make crossbows. Those crossbows had a certain refresh rate and damage type, etc. But post-patch, the new crossbows would actually be a different damage, uh, different uh, refresh rate, etc. And people would market pre-patch and post-patch items. This created a very interesting market in the game, and uh, you had very sought-after things uh, for specific people that they felt were better. Now, some people might cry, this is this, this horrible, you know, you have certain items that are more damaged or something like that, but it, it, to me, it added more depth to the game. There was something else to strive for rather than simply, you know, find the uh, monster or find the spaceship with the best thing on it, there was, there was a, an extra level of, uh, of, of metagaming. For Star Citizens, particularly, and Mr. Ostron's point in the flight model, the physics model in Star Citizen is somewhat fixed. The fight model is really just how do your thrusters respond to your your joystick movements. They don't actually break the game either way because your thrusters respond just as your thrusters would either way. So I don't see a problem, but I do see Jeff's point in that that would potentially cause a verification nightmare and playtesting on the developer side where a thruster change in the system or the addition of new thrusters to the game could be incompatible with the old flight model and cause all sorts of odd behavior. So I can see it both ways, guys. I think you guys both argued very good points.
0: Perhaps the flight model was a bad example. I will concede Jeff's point that there are technical concerns in keeping legacy versions of code alive, but like you said, it is possible to do something like this if the code or whatever is attached to the instances of the item rather than being embedded in the overall code for the whole game. You know, Star Citizen seems to be the only game I know of that's done this explicitly. I don't know that Elite is planning on doing like versions of different ships, but Star Citizen has always talked about like this model year of particular starship or something like that. And so far we haven't heard anything about how the model years are going to matter, other than, no,
2: I think something... They've actually said hard points and stuff could possibly change. Um, certain years will, will swap things out, and as time goes on, the older models will get obsoleted eventually. The newer ones will simply be better after three or four years or something like that of new models being released.
0: Right, but that's that's my point, is if the models are always better, then there's never going to be any incentive to keep the old ones.
3: Well, there could be, but let, let me flip this around a little bit because you brought up some interesting things. Well, Ken have brought up some interesting points. Now, we know we can change engine sizes. We know we can change shield sizes to a certain degree, but I think the use of the flight model, Astron, is you're right. It was an incorrect way of describing it, but if you had thruster controls or a mo- or a you know something that you put inside your computer to you know tweak the timing a little bit better or something like that to suit your playing style it's not game breaking and i don't i don't think it's it's a, a imbalance issue either i think it's a matter of how you know if you're if you were building a, a ship for the, the murray cup for example a racer you'd want to tweak it out within the rules of the race of course but you may want A sharper turn radius and less power or you know that these kinds of things now that would make the game interesting that would bring you you know a pirate looking at an old tramp steamer thinking he's got an easy kill and suddenly realizing he's going up against
2: a battle tank sir let me let me offer a more benign uh, use case here that might be a little easier to decide let's say that sig decides that certain like for instance size one laser weapons they would like size one laser weapons to do 10% more damage and have a 10% lower re- uh, refresh rate or something like that, right? And instead of just making a blanket statement across all of these laser weapons, they they decide that all new laser weapons are like that. The thing with Star Citizen is particularly is they have a whole insurance-based system, whereas if, if the old one gets destroyed, you don't get the old one back. You get the newest model one when you your insurance kicks in. They simply don't make the old one anymore. So if they decided to do this then all of the old models will eventually get phased out over time. People's current damage output and firing conditions don't change until their ship gets destroyed and replaced and then they see this new new system. And any of the old ones um, would have some sort of special aftermarket added value as they slowly decrease in the universe from getting destroyed in combat.
0: Right, and the same thing would apply, like, for example, I mean, this would be one where it was sort of working in negative favor, but I think it would add an interesting element, because if you remember, the first time the Cutlass came out, 90% of the people hated it. So they went in and they adjusted all the performance characteristics and so forth then that came out as just a blanket change to all the cutlasses if they instead released all the updates as a new as a new ship model like a new model of the cutlass that had to be purchased i think that would introduce an interesting dynamic to the game universe because then you'd have sort of the opposite of what you were saying kinshadow where now everyone's like well i've got a 2947 cutlass and you know, I can't sell that to a Vandal who was like stranded on a planet. I mean, it's just a worthless ship that nobody wants. And I think it would I mean, it's it's sort of a more negative experience, but I think as the immersion possibilities are just uh, amazing.
2: They have to be. They walk a fine line there, right? Where the new model can be better, and in fact, you want it to be better, you know, to create that more immersive experience, but it can't be definitively better, right? It has to be marginally, and that margin has to stack with each model here, just like just like current cars, right?
0: Well, yeah, but I think I think they could get away with doing like putting a lemon on the market so to speak because i think if you're smart about it you can leverage that and create a whole bunch of in-game activities surrounding it like if for example that really bad cutlass came out you know the first x number of people who acquired it would spread the word quickly so people would stop buying or acquiring the cutlass i mean that would be annoying because you know, people who really wanted it would be put out, but that was the case with the system anyway. So they would wait for the next model year. And then that could snowball as an effect. If the developers were smart about it, they could make things of like, oh, Drake's stock is torpedoing because of the horrendous performance of this cutlass model and then, you know, the you might have some in enterprising people who figure out, oh, I actually made a A configuration for the cutlass that actually makes it a good ship for some sort of role so then you know they start buying up these cutlasses that objectively suck but they can tweak them to make them useful somehow and then turn a profit on it so I mean I think you could still get away with doing an objectively better model in all respects without completely breaking the game because the key is as long as you have some ships or weapons or whatever module is a a junker as long as you have some other options on the market which you know most games would in this sort of environment you can leverage that to create more in-game story and mission play
2: yeah i mean you could have manufacturer recalls you could have all sorts of interesting uh, interactions that you don't typically see in a video game Well, now you know our thoughts, we want to hear yours. So this week's community question, is a system where players purchase in-game updates and enhancements a good way to increase immersion and realism? Or will it mean that the game is only optimal for the hardcore gamers and others who aren't able to acquire items get left behind? Perhaps there's an angle on this that we missed. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com.
3: Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy,
2: what's on your mind? We're
0: all friendlies! So let's just be friendly!
2: Some say if you say his name backwards three times, he'll appear in your backyard at the next full moon. And that he thinks if you live in Kansas, District 27, you should vote for Tony Hunter for state senator. But all we know is he's called the Shiv and he helped put together this week's feedback. Community question. Should karma slash reputation ratings follow ships and allow players to ditch the hot vehicle to maintain legitimate and illegitimate interest with one character? Or does it need to follow the player so everyone knows what side of the law people are on, regardless of what they're flying? Maybe like the system that Jeff came up with. Phoenix H says, maybe just the ship until they can get an ID on it
0: traz ion suggests both has always been the direction cig has talked about so far as i remember it i.e ships will carry a reputation such that if you've got a clean rep but get on board a ship that has a crime rating tagged to its id eventually you could be apprehended and likely take some heat or damage to your rep even if you had done no crimes in it and as an individual you would carry your personal crime stat but if you were on a lawful reputation ship would be just like illicit cargo, smuggled unless scanning or searching revealed you, at which point, likely that vessel would take some reputation splash damage. That at least outlines the intent as
3: I understood it. Chris B. writes, both. If you are attacked by a ship, unless the pilot is known, the rep can only go to the ship. It would be up to the player to figure out who is flying that ship. Once someone connects the dots with some form of evidence and makes that public, then the ship rep goes to the pilot rep. Christopher P
2: says, it has to be both. Funny story, in my youth I bought a used car, FSBO from the newspaper, picked it up, cheap, was driving it home, looked in the rearview mirror and a cop was following me, followed me for like 5 miles, finally his lights. I was pissed, I pulled over and jumped out of my car. Just a note from your Uncle Blackwatch, never ever do this. I'm a white male, and even then, never ever do this. Passenger cop rolls out, racking a shotgun. Driver cop ducks behind his door, pistol drawn. I crap my pants. So there I am, on the hood of my car, in cuffs, nightstick against my neck, rethinking every bad decision I'd ever made, especially this one. Turns out there was a warrant out for the rest of the owner of my vehicle. A federal warrant. I never found out for what. And even though I didn't match the description, my aggressive demeanor warranted their behavior. So yes. Both. Smiley face.
0: Kinshadow's old friend Legante writes in and says you want to encourage community interaction, not discourage. Rep needs to stay with a player. If everyone is always a major unknown factor threat, then essentially a lot of community play will be gutted in the name of better safe than sorry. If Rep stays with a player, you'll have people working and interacting with each other more often." This is key for online game longevity. For anyone confused,
3: I'm pro-rep sticking
0: regardless of the situation.
3: John L. writes in and says that could be a good part of the scanning minigame. You see the ship? Don't think it's anything is wrong. Scan it, and it belongs to the Dread Pirate Roberts. Oh, sht Secondary
2: scan, current owner, Wesley? Krell writes in and says reputation should be tied to the character. Frankly, I would prefer to see it tied to the account to prevent the sort of metagaming that happens in EVE, where you can simply delete a character once it has earned too much negative reputation, and easily start out fresh. See high-sec ganking.
0: LNO Rebel submitted probably on Twitter and said infamous pirate ship might mix new plus old crew who want to earn their own rep, plus ship not equal to captain slash owner.
3: Rambus writes in and says, depending on the scan on ship's Moby Glass, we know that we can turn off the ID on the ship, but that cops stop you in UEE
2: space. So I think it should follow just the player. Glasses guy with CD says, bit of both. Hot ship, but enough living witnesses, and the pilot gains that karma. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this is
0: going to fail right out of the gate, but... Aya Hawalolo writes in and says,
3: Oi, that's Dread Pirate Robert's ship. What are you doing with it, scrub? Goku and Big Rhino 1995 say that it should be both, but the ships won't transfer to your person unless proper ID is made.
2: The real Grimlick writes in and says, You can spoof the IFF of the ship, but not the pilot
0: ryanmc98 says ai offenses should only follow the player as long as the ai can see that it was indeed you who did it however if you do something shady to a player or get caught then subsequently booted, no amount of sly-handed backstage backstabbing social engineering name change game mechanics or wanted level terminal hacking should allow a player to be able to get a bad reputation off This is how it works in EVE, for example, where full account-wide background checks by way of the game's own API are routine. The game should make it possible to find past transgressions via being able to track a player's history through kills and past affiliated organizations. In summary, if a player messes with the AI and it doesn't see your face, changing ship should ditch the bad rep mess with a player, or worse, an entire organization, and the offenders should have to wear the honest fact they are dishonest for the rest of their time in the Star Citizen universe with no mechanic to change them.
3: Chris Trone says... I would like to see both a character's reputation and a ship reputation. The reputation is accumulated based on viewpoint. In a dogfight, this ship earns rep. In a bar fight, it's the player's. This can allow the player to have a hidden identity like Batman, successful businessman by day, vigilant pirate hunter at night. A single rep would inhibit this, I think.
2: And generally, saying both is Alex Z, Brett B, Paul M, Source Table, and Algomani.
3: Well I must say this really generated a lot of feedback. I'm probably sure there was more that we couldn't get in but uh, I think this is something that could take shape and I, I'm you know the more I thought about it last week after uh, initially discussing it, the more advantages I saw to not only having a player rep but a ship rep as well. I think it would make for some good gameplay.
0: Yeah, a lot of people were on board with the both and their their arguments make sense. I, I think it's a good way to do the reputation system particularly in games where your avatar and your ship are two distinct entities.
2: The, uh, the background check thing was kind of an interesting uh, idea. I didn't know they did that on EVE. I'm a little of mixed opinion on that, but it's interesting.
3: Well, yes and no. It it still lets bad people in. Eve is a game unto itself. It's really hard to come down one side or the other on it because it it is fun in some cases and it's pretty nasty in others.
0: And you did have that feedback earlier that was talking about how people wipe their accounts once they've gotten too dirty.
2: Oh, yeah, with the deleting characters and stuff. Yeah, I mean, people could do the same thing with any game, really. I mean, if you really wanted to get around the system, you can always just buy a new copy. That can get expensive, though.
3: Well, but these these are the type of people that really figured the exploits out in EVE and can make a bunch of assets real quickly and ruin it for other players. I mean, really.
2: In general feedback, Ken from Chicago writes in, To me, Guard Frequency is to Star Citizen what stoked was to Star Trek Online. The first podcast I heard dedicated to a space-based MMORPG by fans for fans. The Guard Frequency cast are true fans. They love the game in spite of its flaws, instead of being blind to its flaws the way groupies would be. They want the game to overcome its flaws instead of merely ignoring or denying they exist. So they offer praise when it's earned, and constructive criticism when it's needed. So for all you have done, this trailer is for you. Thank you Tony, Jeff, Lennon, Justin, Ostron, Brian, Henry, and of course the Research Badgers and the Priority One crew who have worked behind the mic and sometimes in front of it to help make this show such a success to complement their own tremendous show. Ken from Chicago. P.S. Bonus Guard Frequency has expanded to cover other space sims, which is great when Star Citizen News hits slow spells and to also see what other similar games we can try while Star Citizen is being crafted. There has been a bit of revival of the Space Sim category of video games since Star Citizen's Kickstarter was announced. So it's nice to see what else is out there in the final frontier of cyberspace.
0: He put together a a nice little trailer that's based on our intro for our shows every week. Uh, We're going to put a link to it in the show notes, and I would like to thank Ken from Chicago for the nice note and the work he put into the trailer.
3: Yeah, I would too. Ken has been a loyal supporter from the the very beginning, and we appreciate his input always, and he makes me laugh with his tweets.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Ken very frequently sends us uh, tweets to our Twitter stream that are more interactive than commentary so most of them don't get put into the feedback, but they tend to keep us entertained throughout the week.
3: Well, our new Patreons this week are no one. Hey look, Patreons aren't going to procedurally generate themselves, so Patreon up!
0: And this week's community question. Is a system where players purchase in-game updates and enhancements a good way to increase immersion and realism, or will it mean that the game is only optimal for the hardcore players? and others who aren't able to acquire items get left behind. Perhaps there's an angle on this that we missed. Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com.
2: So how was the show? Would you spend the effort to hunt it down? Or are you only going to bother if it comes out to you without extra work? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on the show's post over at guardfrequency.com?
3: Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash
2: GuardFreak.
0: If you're old school like us, shoot us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com.
2: You can also use the contact form on our website. And all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do. So take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 143 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 144 on November 8th. So be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over on our website, guardfrequency.com.
0: But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. If you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 10 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 9 a.m. in Kazakhstan.
3: Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space and podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25 U.S. currency, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. And I do mean goodies. We want to thank our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope you'll consider making a regular contribution because the more support we get, the better show we can make.
0: Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call signs section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com.
2: We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pentad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. And a big shout out to our syndication partner, The Base. And a special thanks to Ronald Junkies for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJunkies.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely.
3: Reduce thrust. The Guardians update on Elite Dangerous. I'm sorry. Let me read that again, because I
1: forgot one punctuation. Yep. <laughs> Corin. Yeah, cut me off, because I'll keep talking about Elite all day.
2: <laughs> First is the addition of a colonial player sh-
1: <clears throat> No, no, that's
0: ship, not
2: <laughs> A big shout-out to our syndication partner, The Base, and special thanks to Ronald Jinkies for all his permission- Wait, Jesus. <laughs> For all of it. <laughs> it yes. wasn't just not some partial of it, permission. It
3: was all of it. Not a partial. <clears throat> not just, not a not partial, just it even was notes. all of it. He gave
2: it he gave us he gave us a license to the odd notes as well. Just to be clear. And special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for all his I just said it again. What does it mean with these last f- lines? Uh, all right. And special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his show in our music. <laughs>
3: Man, that's going
1: in the blooper oh, no. reel. That is definitely. What the going hell? On. I can't. No, it's no, always this... when I get the last camera. <laughs> mm.
2: And a big shout out. <laughs> All right. All right. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> And a big shout-out to our syndication partner, The Bass. And a special thanks to Ronald Junkies for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJunkies.com for more of his work. Above all, but, but above all... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. em- Emphasize uh, that a little yeah. bit more, why don't
3: you? We're but. like big butts, and we do not <laughs> <want it. laughs>
2: Phoenix H. writes in and says, "Maybe <clears throat> Sorry. Phoenix Phoenix a- H.
0: However, if you do something shady to a player or get caught, then subsequently booted. No amount of sh- sly backhanded. Nope.
2: Thank you, Taff. I combined some names there.
0: Yep. <laughs> I'm not really certain Tony and Jeff would appreciate being molded into one game. Not at all.
3: <laughs> That's an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And if you haven't got that email address again, I will read it one more time. At squawk at guardfrequency.com. You can also support the show. What was that, Jeff? You can also support the show. What's that email address?
0: Uh, (laughs) Oh. Shut up. Sector death hell or system rampant murder.